0: Be not afeard. The aisle is full of noises, sounds and sweet airs that give delight and hurt not. Sometimes a thousand twangling instruments will hum about your ears and sometimes voices that if you then had waked after long sleep will make you sleep again. And then in dreaming the clouds you thought would open and show riches ready to drop upon you that when you waked you cried to dream again a reading life a writing life with writer and teacher sally bailey produced by andrew smith a rainy morning my river is looking very gray and despondent let's make some tea that's the water pump going the early morning growls kettle on just out of the river. Haven't been in the river for three days. I miss my cold mantle. There was a storm last night but I wasn't here. I came back on my scooter from the other side of town from Osney where I sometimes stay to go and have a hot bath in a friend's house. But I miss the boat terribly when I go away. It's like an extension of my physical self my body it is part of my body now I measure myself by the dimensions of the boat so just out of the river I'll start to shiver in a moment there's always that body drop when you get out they call that the the body drop yes you the drop in temperature it's odd how you miss being partly outside wanted to be surrounded by the trees as I am here inside this green womb space. The nettles are pressing against my window I notice as I look out now. I'm looking to see if the water vole will reappear. I haven't seen him for some weeks. I'm surprised he's not around. I wonder what he's up to. I've been writing a book about um, the end of life I suppose a sort of biographical extinction story. It's called Pond Life, and my mind has been filled with images of water and submergence, pond life, and also sea life, marine life. I grew up by the sea, and now I live on the river. And I intimately relate my swimming with my writing and my reading, that experience of being submerged and plunging your body and your whole mind and your whole self into Um, a force that is larger than yourself. In the case of reading words. In the case of poetry, that lyrical force which is related to song and dance. And I think I first learned how to read by hearing words spoken out loud. Poetic words. Words from songs and nursery rhymes. Perhaps those were the first Forms of sound I heard as a child, I don't know, but my mother used to recite poetry out loud and my father, when he was around, used to sing. My mother sang too, so I heard lyrical sounds from a very early age. My mother went from being a grammar school girl, which I suppose was associated with membership of the middle classes, to being a member of the underclass where nobody counts and nobody is audited. Despite her extremely, supremely powerful, creative imagination um, and her ability as a crafts person, as a crafts woman, she was a seamstress and a painter. And she had a very strong relationship to music and to song, to the lyrical imagination. So she was musical and she was also visually talented. But her fingers were talented too she could make them move in magical ways and i remember my mother singing beautiful soaring notes flying around the house in my childhood warming up my heart and producing a sense of elevation and buoyancy and hope flight flight away from despair away from cramped cold rooms away from cold fingers and cold toes and Rumbling bellies. Hope by song, by dance, by poetry. My mother taught herself piano on a cheap keyboard. Goodness only knows where that came from. Probably a charity shop. Most things we had in our house came from charity shops. Nothing wrong with that. My mother's fingers moving across the keys, playing her Chopin, trying to induce a state of hope. By lyrical force and movement, flight. I've always thought that writing is like a kind of dance. It's good choreography when you've got it well worked out. The parts move well together. And the reader dances alongside the writer. The writer invites the reader to move with him in a kind of or her, in a kind of pad, a kind of dance for two. Go. They come fast, they come slow They go like the last light of the sun all in, in a blaze. blaze This is Nina Simone, by the way, singing Not me It's a beautiful structured song I used to teach this we song It's about storytelling huh? To my writers, my writing students There's something about the way she uses her voice here it's like a record about to break it's not in perfect harmony or tune there's a jaggedness to it that's the point it's completely sincerely felt pain stars it's called and it is about memory plowing through the waters of her pain and her past It's an extraordinary performance live at montreal in switzerland in the 70s and then it's all about the ending. How do you end your story? You just go into this subterranean language of humming and singing to yourself and self-soothing. That's what she's doing at the end. Because to end the song is too painful. To end one's life, to end one's lyrical self is too painful. To stop being a star is too painful. So you you, you enter into this private world of language, which is what she does there at the end. And half of the song, really, is a private discussion, song discussion song discussion with herself about who she is and who she's been passing through the tracks of her younger years Um, it's a beautifully structured piece of memoir singing really lyrical memoir and I played it because she tells a story of her past um, herself as a star as a young woman, she's now an older woman and her homesickness for her younger self. This uncanny feeling of being haunted by your younger self that you don't quite believe was ever real. She sings about these young men um, who used to follow her around, these young men of 25 years old, who used to follow her around asking for her autograph. Um, And she's reflecting back upon that moment of being desired as an older woman. I think there's something very um, universal about that feeling of elegy for our younger self and i think i'm in that moment in my own life at the moment um having had a big birthday this year and telling no one about it because i always hide my birthday i think we we come to these stages in our life where we run backwards and start looking for our former self and try to um, gather up images from what you might call um the exodus experience of leaving that self behind and beginning a new self which seems to happen every few years and i have a new self unfortunately that's been forced upon me by by a sudden reversal of physical fortune my health um, and this new body that i'm adjusting to which doesn't work as it used to and I think really this is what prompted me to start thinking about making this podcast series i wanted to try and find a way of integrating my mental emotional spiritual literary life with my physical life the world that i'm in here and now inside this boat on the water on this island with my students coming and going and my small community my friends the people i know i needed to feel that I could integrate all of those aspects of my life. And really at the core of the way I live um, is this assembly of words that I make every day as I write and as I read. And from those words come images, a younger self, a former self, um, a shed self, um, a skin that's been dropped somewhere along the way. And I feel very close to that idea of a shed skin. A shed body that's been sloughed off somehow in my particular case it's been rather violently sloughed off by um, a, a set of unfortunate circumstances I'm still coming into understanding what it is that's happened to me um, I and it, I think I need to find the words still so I go looking for words in other people's stories and I played Nina Simone today because I needed to hear cadence I needed to need to hear the lift and the buoyancy of words and of her piano I can hear and see the piano as she plays it Um, and her voice comes and goes it sort of tears and rips along the seams as she is overcome by feeling pain and sorrow and distress for what she is now and what she had been and it's that separation between self now and self then which is causing her to to jitter and to jag about on the piano. I can feel those fingers and and as though they are attached to her nerve endings. And the lyrical force is really the piano and the voice comes and goes as a series of whispered statements, spoken, spoken, half-spoken, half-sung. It's a kind of subterranean language. She's speaking to herself. She's inside her own mind. It's a semi-conscious state. And then she works herself up into a trance. And I think that really is the stuff of art. It's not fully formed, it's not fully fledged. It's half there and half not there. It's ghostly and it can't be fully seen or heard. It's a filthy morning and I had some sad news today, a message about my friend Philip, who is dying very rapidly now of cancer. I knew he was going downhill because he had been very quiet for some weeks. Um, I taught Philip Shakespeare throughout lockdown on Zoom. The entire canon, which was really a remarkable thing to have done, now I think of it. And we acted out Shakespeare through our screens and had a great great deal of laughter and fun. He was like a green man, a legendary figure, really. He'd taught in the university for years in various departments in forestry and human sciences. He knew a lot about trees. He taught me about trees. We went to Arboretums together, we went on long walks together, back when I could walk a long way. Philip used to walk from Boar's Hill, which is about three and a half miles south of Oxford, down the hill, into town and back up again. Beautiful location. I remember beech trees, tawny-coloured beech leaves in the autumn. The crisp sound of leaves under my feet. I was always devising new ways of walking up that hill. Philip knew all about the poets that lived on Boar's Hill. And his daughter's just written to me to ask whether I could send a piece of Shakespeare so she can read it to him, because he will be gone by today or tonight. And so I thought immediately of Caliban's speech, where he sounds so wise and so uncaptured and so knowing and so close to nature and so unafraid. Caliban, in the Tempest, who is owned by Prospero, the magus, the magician figure of the island, And he suddenly becomes the possessor of this space. Philip was a bit like that. In his abode. On Boar's Hill. A leafy place. A beachy place. Full of beech trees. Oak trees. I'm going to read that for Philip. Be not afeard. The aisle is full of noises, sounds, and sweet airs that give delight and hurt not. Sometimes a thousand twangling instruments will hum about mine ears, and sometimes voices that, if I then had waked after long sleep, will make me sleep again. And then in dreaming, in dreaming, Clouds, methought, would open and show riches ready to drop upon me. Philip was a dreamer. And of course, that is what death is. At least it is in poetic form. The idea of sleep and death, they come out of Shakespeare. It's what the romantics then adopt. It's a nice way of thinking about death, I think. I hope that Philip has had good dreams the last few days. His daughter tells me that he's not in pain and he hasn't been for a while. Be not afeared, Philip. Be not afeared. Thank you for listening to A Reading Life, A Writing Life with writer and teacher Sally Bailey produced by Andrew Smith If you've enjoyed this podcast please like it, give us a review or mention us to friends or on social media Thank you